Hello, this is Property Matters. A very happy new year to you. This is our weekly catch-up on all matters property supported by Fairview International Property Consultancy and auctionproperty.co.uk. And we're live every Sunday from 10am on YouTube, Facebook, LinkedIn and our website propertymatterstv.co.uk. If you're watching on the website, leave a Google review. And if you're watching on social media, please get in touch with the comments in the comments section below. Our email address for any suggested topics for us to discuss, hello at propertymatterstv.co.uk. And if you don't have time to watch the show in full on a Sunday, you can get us on the move as a podcast every Monday morning, 10am from wherever you get your podcasts from. Just search Property Matters TV and you'll find us there. Also, of course, we're broadcast across the week on Dilsey Radio as well. So let's welcome, for the first time in 2024, our new, um, sorry, our new year, our, our property expert, Joe Joshi, who's here to welcome in the new year with us. Morning, Joe. Well, I, I mean, I don't mind being the new Joe Joshi. That's that's yeah. quite, quite quite a thing to do, isn't it? I suppose, um, considering <laughs> that it's the new year. So here is me, the new Joe Joshi, uh, and uh, discussing property matters, um, all subjects of property. And uh, yeah, I think we've got a pretty packed twenty-four ahead of us, Paul, uh, with uh, with all sorts of things going on. Especially being an election year, I'm sure that uh, will make things um, quite interesting. Yeah, that's what we're going to be discussing right now as our first topic of 2024. This is something that appeared over the new year in This Is Money, which is the Daily Mail's money section. Uh, why would you, why you should wait until spring to buy a house and the type of home that is surging in value? These are the nine trends that will define the property market in 2024. So the question is when to go um, to the market or when to buy, whether you're selling or buying, of course. And as you say, Joe, this is a general election year. It has to be called by December the 17th. Uh, and historically, there has been a slowdown in property market activity, Joe, hasn't there, before an election? Because people aren't sure what the new party, if there is a change of government or even the, uh, a, a re-elected government, are going to offer until such times as they get in. Yes, absolutely. I mean, the, any time is a difficult time, but uh, election years are always challenging, uh, to say the least, especially, as you rightly say, Paul, that um, we're not sure of what the policies are going to be for um, either any incoming or changing of guard or changing of government or even the existing one. Obviously, at the moment, there's going to be a lot of um, values thrown by the existing uh, government, obviously hoping that they can be... Um, re-elected and uh, be in there for a further five years. Um, so I expect lots of goodies to be thrown out, um, lots of choices um, for first time buyers and perhaps even some investor opportunities um, uh, as, as time goes on. Um, but yes, uh, it, it does slow down, but I, I, I tend to think that, um, you know, we've got used to the uh, trends and the trends have changed a lot over the years. Um, since I've been in, in the business. Um, now, I think it's more about what circumstances suit you and when you want to move forward and what's right for you, as opposed to what may be right for the fashionable trends of the government and so forth. So there's a lot of areas, a lot of reasons why people you know, tend to move for the purposes of their personal circumstances. Well, the Tories have uh, announced plans to cut costs for first-time buyers in a bid to win over the younger voters. And Michael Gove has said that the government would definitely have plans in place for prospective homeowners before uh, they head to the polls. And again, no uh, content or any um, 
detail on that, of course. Um, but that's... Uh, that's, so, so are you saying to me that you think you should wait until later in the year or what's your advice, bearing in mind that the Prime Minister has said this week that he thinks a poll towards the end of uh, this year, so we're thinking probably November, December time? I think that's um, a bit of a red herring in my opinion. I think they will go to the polls much sooner than that. Um, of course, as you know, in towards the last to the, towards the end of last year, I was predicting that uh, that the autumn budget should have some sound goodies in the bag, and I think the inflation figures kept that at bay. Obviously, now we know that the inflation figures have um, gone down, so they're being confident. And of course, I think you'll find that the Bank of England will probably work with them and bring it down by a quarter of a percent, showing a downward trend as opposed to the upward trend that's happened throughout 23. When's the right time to buy? Well, to be perfectly honest with you, in my opinion, there is now no longer a right time to buy. Um, it is about what suits you and what your circumstances are and what um, deals are on offer. Um, it is certainly a 24 is certainly a buyer's market for those that want to buy. Certainly a good opportunity for what I believe for the first time buyers. Um, there's probably a, this is probably one of the best windows of opportunity for first time buyers because the investor. Uh, Joe seems to have frozen for some reason. Uh, <laughs> someone's put in the comments. Someone's put in the. Yeah, someone's put in the comments that you're saying it's frozen. Somebody's put, well, it is cold. <laughs> <laughs> well, it just, goes, it just goes to show that we are live, chaps. <laughs> Absolutely right, yeah. We were just talking about first-time buyers, and, and, and actually it says here that this is a golden opportunity for them because for the first time in probably, well, since, since the low interest rates of 2008-9 and so on, uh, this is the first time that they're not competing with potential you know, landlords or accidental landlords for these uh, these one bedroom and small properties to get on the ladder. They've they're all selling up, and there's a plethora of them on the market. We're led to believe, um, and therefore they've got the golden opportunity to get the property they want. And that is tied in with, of course, um, you know, uh, where where Bob would probably be in, in on this with a mortgage advice. But it seems that the uh, fixed rates are now a bit more competitive. There are deals being offered by lenders to entice them to come into into the market uh, at lower rates or lower fixed rates. Um, and uh, so, yes, they should definitely take full advantage of that uh, at this moment. The suggestions have been, haven't they, across uh, December that actually the Bank of England will probably wait until much later in the year before even reducing rates. So are you saying that you feel that, there, uh, and, and I suppose there might be political pressure to, to assist the Tories by um, maybe a half percent over two lots of uh, a quarter a time? Yeah, I, I definitely think that um, from a bank's point of view and from the government's point of view, um, the bank will assist um uh, you know in 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 that force look they've muted by about the idea of a, a downward uh, trend in the fixed uh, in the, in the uh, base rate um people have been predicting a, as much as two ter um drops you know two quarters 25% they're 25 they're taking it to sort of 4.75 i personally don't think it'll be less than 5% i've always felt the 5% was going to be their marker in, in general, and uh, so they, they will show a downward in the first 
um, providing the um, inflation figures are are meeting their target, then the chances are that they will bring the interest rate down to about five percent. And of course, that will assist the government that's in incumbent at the moment, um, so that they can actually go go out to the polls and say, look, you know, look what we did. We 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 gave you a tough time, but basically we brought the um, uh, inflation figures down. Yes, the mortgage rate went up, but look, it's now on the downward trend. So all of those things are are selling points, aren't they, for for anybody um, in order to try and get get them back in. And I think that that's okay. That's fair enough. But I think it will happen probably in the um, first quarter of this year, not to the, towards the latter part. Um, in terms of when is it right for first-time buyers, or when is it right for anyone to buy? Of course, traditionally it was always spring. Spring was uh, always the best. You know, the daffodils are out, the gardens are looking pretty, all that kind of stuff. Um, but as we know, since the time of COVID, things have gone a little bit haywire in, in everyone's move, the way they think, the way they structure their life and, and how things work. So that in mind, I'm not sure that there is any particularly good time other than the right time for you, the current time. If now is a good time for you to buy, then then go ahead and buy. It's not, don't wait for it. Whatever changes these people are going to make, whether it's a, the current government or maybe a new government, then, you know, you'll have to go with it. But you, you may as well take what, what you've got, what fixed rates are being offered. Um, it could go all pear shape um, and you look back and go, I wish I'd done this and wish I'd done that. And hindsight is a great thing. So I personally think that, you know, you've got to go with what's right for you personally. Um, and there may be some really, really good opportunities out there um, at this uh, at this time. And that presumably will have a knock-on effect in terms of uh, mortgage applications because there will be uh, people who have uh, perhaps pre previously failed to meet the affordability test, the lending criteria, if you like, um, and, and now with a reduction in interest rates and obviously with affordability coming back down with inflation falling, that's going to mean that you know a, a whole raft of renters who'd kind of given up in 2023 on ever owning their own property might actually still now f finally just get on the ladder. Undoubtedly, and I think you'll find that uh, in the in the um, March statement, things like the help to buy and all of those other things that Gove is talking about um, in order to uh, entice uh, young voters as well as um, just the opportunity for them to have and own their own property will be a, a bundle full. You know, they, they will throw almost everything at at the electorate to make sure that those opportunities um, are taken up. Um, and, um, you know, I, I, th I think this is a great, great year for first time buyers. Indeed. Let's just have a look at some of the comments coming up in the, the chat. So, um, yes, this is um, um, buyers are desperate to buy. And I agree now is the window of opportunity. Uh, this is um, Bob. So morning, wishing you all and your viewers and families happy success and good health in 2024. Um, Richie is delaying the election till economic metrics and taxes are as low as possible. And uh, also Bob is saying, this is the busiest January I've had in my 30 year history. Wow. Wow. Which and says it all really. Yeah, well, that's, that's what I'm saying, that all of a sudden there are some good deals being offered by um, lenders for fixed rates, uh, especially for first-time buyers, um, with a, with a, with a, probably a mindset that uh, 
you know, things will come down, the rates will come down further. So, yeah, I'm, I'm not surprised that uh, Bob's having a busy time. The next uh, factor in these nine trends that define the property market in 2024 is the end of the London exodus. So it's the end of the race, of spa race for space. We officially are out the other end of it now. All those that wanted to race for space have gone and done their race and they've got their space. <laughs> now... <laughs> <laughs> there are there are many people in London, they're saying in this article, who now spend two days a week in the workplace and the other three days at home. And that, of course, has meant people have tried to reevaluate what's going on and therefore maybe they still need to have a London base. And the London housing market seems to be recovering as a result. Um, after two years of near record levels of residents heading out of London, according to Hamptons, uh, the London Borough of Richmond also being voted the happiest place to live in Britain. I'm sure you saw that over December. First time it was topped the Happy at Home poll um, conducted by Right Move um, since they began. And uh, one state agent says the race for space has reserved, has reversed, and some, to some extent, workers now go into the office a couple of days a week, eases the pressure on families needing to leave London for bigger homes and workspaces. Those that wanted to move and get the space have done it, and those that think, well, do you know what, I need to be closer to town, have made their decision. So officially, the race for space is over. Yes, and I, I think um, I think that was a, a fallacy to a large extent. Yes, we all ran around, or people ran around, and said we want to get out and have some space and have a bigger house and work from home. But you know, there's there's a lot of other uh, things that come into that. And I've I've listened and spoken to a lot of people over that period, um, different views, mixed views. Um, I think the the one that comes out the most is about connection. Uh, the fact that the, even though it was great idea of, of living and working away and so forth, but the idea of, of you know talking to people or meeting people and, and so forth really um, created a problem, both I suppose in mental health, which has gone through the sky, but also just personal well-being of, of individuals. To the, the the answer is that you know we all want to have some sort of connection, communication, bouncing ideas was, was a big conversation. You know, we want to be able to bounce the idea of someone and say, look, yeah, is this the right thing? I mean, you know, what, what would you do, etc. And that's all okay with Zoom and, and Teams and all sorts of things. But that sort of, not touchy-feely, but that sort of in-the-room feeling conversation, chatting is, is very, very much the conversation that I've been having with people where they've said they've missed that. And, and so now would like to go back into an office or go back to an environment where they had colleagues or, or other businesses where they could actually you know communicate with and, and talk with in just in general. But I mean, a lot of the government bodies are hiding very much behind still this this opportunity of you know we're working from home um, primarily because they want to reduce costs. And secondly, because, you know, it just it, it suits them not to have someone to be confronted to. So, you know, you, you go. I mean, I, I had to go to the council offices uh, recently um, only to find that, you know, there's only a receptionist there. And she they directed me to a phone which was in there in, in the council offices for me to then call on that phone to speak to somebody that was sitting at home somewhere. And I thought, well, actually, I could have done that from home if you just said that. But there's no no communication so they're all hiding in my view hiding behind you know that idea but it will come to a point soon where they're going to have to face because 
people like the idea to to talk to somebody directly. Yeah, and I think um, you know, twenty, thirty years from now, when all the stats of this decade come out as to what uh, and, and the and the influence that uh, the pandemic and working from home and being more distant from each other. We'll, 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 we'll be interested to see what history says about that in 20 years' time. I suspect it will make a very different um, world from uh, what we knew before 2020. But uh, that's an aside. Anyway, let's move on to uh, embracing bold colours. Maybe, it says here. So uh, all the time, Joe, you've always said, and everybody says, it's you know, you've got to be white in your home or, or magnolia, famously, uh, or a cream colour, maybe. But it says here that vibrant shades are all the rage for homeowners in 2024. This is apparently due to Barbie core, as in the movie, with lots of pinks and turquoise, apparently. Aesthetic jovial colours such as bubblegum pink and bright turquoise are set to become the key interior design trends this year, according to Decorilla and the Inter Interior Design Service. These bold and vivacious shades inject an unapologetic sense of fun and energy into interiors, creating spaces that radiate positivity. Monotone furniture and decor are outdated because they lack personality and vibrancy. We've all seen that cerise pink downstairs um, guest loo, haven't we? Um, <laughs> or bright magenta or something of that nature. And, uh, and, and then, of course, trying to, when you buy the property, trying to get magnolia to stick over the top of bright pink or, or, magno or, um, or, or crimson or something of that nature is a hell of a job, isn't it? Well, you know, um, property interiors and exteriors throughout the 43 odd years that I've been in the business have um, evolved quite a lot um, from, as you rightly say, bright pink, bubble gum pink and turquoise is not just um, inter internally, but literally externally, there was a time when um, one could actually tell um, what persons or, or types of person was living in a particular property just based on the choice of colors that they may have on the exterior. But then we went to a trend of cladding, um, you know, those stone typey cloud, cladding things. Then we went to wooden claddings and, um, and all sorts of scenarios. And then you come back to being, you know, I, I'd rather have a brick. Then pretty much every house started to be plastered um, and, and all looking the same. They were cream with some sort of speckle in them to give it a little bit of class and a bit of trend um, and then that then became painted over because it wasn't funny anymore and and so it's going to be and we're now going through a probably a similar change a bit more like putting your own identity about saying what well, this is me and this is the way i, I want to be seen um, and so we are going to see some changes not necessarily um, the changes that are required in sales um, because for sales, um, we always feel that neutral colors sell better. That's why things like white magnolia, cream colors, light colors were always more popular because they actually show the property off better, primarily showing it as perhaps bigger in some cases. Lighter colors make things look a little bit brighter and bigger, depending on the types of windows. We even went through a phase when, you know, Georgian and and um, Edwardian and all sorts of other types of windows, leaded light windows was a massive thing, wasn't it? You know, everybody had a leaded light window. I remember there's a yeah. specific builder, Charles Church, actually. I mean, he just lived the, from the idea of building um, leaded light windows and, and he was got to known for it. He just knew, oh, that's a Charles Church development because it's full of leaded light windows. But 
all of those things you know have evolved and have changed and we will see that come again and i think now from from a personal point of view when people own their own property they want to make their own mark um i'm certainly all for people making their own mark i don't have a problem with it my biggest issue with everybody is is the front as you know that i've told that a million times over you know yeah that first 10 second um you know um appeal makes all the difference whether somebody wants to be in that street be in that neighborhood be in your property um and you can do whatever you like inside but it's the outside that actually is the most appealing and the most defining point where people say, well, I'm gonna, so if you then had a street, so if you had a coast, for example, we know that coastal properties, sometimes they have all the bright colors, you know, your oranges, your reds, your yellows, your pink, your purple, you know, your, some of those huts that you get on the seaside are always colored in all sorts of bright colors. Again, they're just making a definition of that's their holiday home where we can be what we like to be. Mm. But yes, there are trends coming, but for selling point of view, I would still stick to neutral colors. Yeah, absolutely. Now, I can't believe over three years of Property Matters, Joe, we've never talked about bungalows. And apparently bungalows are actually the cool thing to get at the moment. And uh, young families are becoming very interested in them as first-time buyers because they represent a cheaper way to get on the ladder. They're being snapped up apparently within weeks and sell for far faster than other homes on average. They're very popular and go so quickly because of the scope they offer. They tend to have bigger gardens and a lot more potential for renovation. Bungalows in the need of a little bit of work are being sought by buyers aged 25 to 30 says one estate agent. Room sizes in bungalows are usually larger than in new builds and big plot sizes make them ideal for expansion and growing families. Almost half of bungalows have two bedrooms and only one in five has more than three, according to the Valuation Office Agency. Most bungalows are also freehold, meaning buyers own the house and the land outright, where, of course, on a flat it's likely to be leasehold. So that's an interesting point. And often you get the, the permitted development or the, the development uh, permission to go and do um you know take it up another story yes um now the reason why bungalows have always probably not been the feature and and that is because in the mindset of most people bungalows are something that you you know work towards when you're retiring um you you might be um, someone that is a disabled person that requires ground floor facilities or you the, the access to the garden or a wider driveway to be able to maneuver yourself in. So I think the mindset, the psyche in the bungalows have always been something called elderly and perhaps disability, um, which is obviously not the case. Um, and to see a trend where young people are now looking at that, and that is primarily because they are looking to see if they can you know, grow their family, grow their scenario into a bungalow. And in all honesty they're not particularly attractive you know they are quite an ugly looking property um and have no character so often you see that bungalows have had some um alterations and then in a street scene there's one that is odd and the rest are all um low low roof because people don't really want any more space that's part of the reason why they buy a bungalow they may want the outdoor space but they're not that interested in the indoor space 
Um, and so uh, it's good to see that people are looking at bungalows as you know, the new alternative, if you want to call it that. Um, and, and yes, they can develop them, can grow them uh, further. They can put another roof on it, all subject to planning, of course. Nothing is a given. I mean, there might be reasons why they were bungalows. Sometimes in planning law, they were given bungalow planning permission because of the height that may have restricted to other things like aircraft noise or, or uh, some sort of telegraph pole or some other reason that said that that communication couldn't happen if they were at a, at a two-story as opposed to a one-story. But as time has gone on, you know, things have now changed. So, uh, for example, telecommunication doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to be uh, a, a, a post outside with a, with a wire. It might be something that is now um, uh, underground uh, in the net. I mean, I know that recently BT have been, you know, plugging the fact that you know, everything is going to become um, online and, and through the Wi-Fi network as opposed to being having um, cables running across from poles in order to try and keep you connected with, with, the, with the line. So there's lots of, lots of reasons why bungalows were probably of, of the century, but they are becoming that way now. Well, you struggled a bit at the end there, Joe, but uh, hopefully you're still with us. Um, uh, yeah, a lot yeah, of people... Yeah, yeah. Good, as long as you can hear us, we can just about hear you at the moment. I don't know what's going on with that Wi-Fi there. <laughs> a lot of people coming in uh, in favour of bungalows, Joe. They don't seem to take your negative approach to bungalows. They seem to think that they're actually quite nice, but... Um, uh, I suppose, um, you know, they do generally have quite large plots, so you've got the opportunity to, uh, to to build out if you want to. And obviously, if you're only doing one story, that's going to be cheaper than doing two stories if you're thinking of for building costs. Yes. I mean, I, you know, I think that the street scene is probably not as delightful as one would like it to be. Um, but they offer the space, they offer the choice. Um, most of them now are, are, have quite a lot large front garden, so you can have... Uh, off-street parking. As time has gone, most front gardens have disappeared, not just from bungalows, but from houses in general, because most houses now have four cars in their family. Um, and then, of course, yes, they have bigger gardens. It's good to have the big gardens, Paul, but, you know, a lot of people don't maintain their gardens. Um, and, um, you know, it, it, the idea is good, but the work is not as, as attractive to have done. And, and yes, they'll cut a small patch in the summer so they can have a barbecue, but fundamentally, it's not as, uh, as, uh, as time can, it's too much time consuming, that's what happens. Mm. You're smiling, so somebody's obviously giving me a hard time on this one. No, the, it, the, the irony was the fact that you were talking about BT doing a lot of work in the street and your internet was going on and off at the time. They're suggesting that maybe Joe's got workmen in the road <laughs> sorting out I his internet. Well, no, I'll tell you why, it's not the workmen in the road, it's the massive puddle that is still out. I mean, one of my, my friends and colleagues drove past and said he was going to come in and see me, but he didn't have his swimming costume and armbands with him to to float across um, that's how bad that's how bad it is out there um, which is why the council spend most of their life not in their offices or at home because they don't want to face people like us to say what about that puddle yeah well of course if you will live in the country in these uh, remote locations joe you know 
<laughs> well, Actually, yeah. it's, it's interesting, actually, because um, I mean, this is probably we're going to just go off off on a tangent for a second, but bear with me because there's a relevance to this. I'm seeing a lot of posts on the internet at the moment from people saying that you know builders are continually looking for plots to build houses, and they don't seem to care whether they build on floodplains or not. And I'm seeing a lot of, particularly in Berkshire, I'm noticing people saying that there's plans afoot to build here. They've already built properties on this floodplain and they literally flooded in the first month of occupation when they were built and yet they're now building more houses and there seems to be no resistance from the council locally to these builders doing this and it's just you know so I, we've never discussed building on floodplains or anything like that but um, just interested to get your view on that I mean clearly you know the, the, there is a need to build somewhere and if you you know if all the NIMBYs get their way then where else do you build? Well, it's interesting, actually, you say that. I went to Sonning Common yesterday, Sonning um, just outside uh, Reading, um, yep. with a view to go and see a, a plot, a development that a client has sent across for me to uh, appraise and sell. Um, and I, I was smiling as I was going there because, thank God for my um, 4x4, uh, the riverbank had broken um, uh, at the Thames in Sonning Common. So anyone that's familiar with it, going past the French Horn just before you get to the bridge. It was all underwater and we got to a certain point, took a gamble going across. And yet here is a plot that was going to be exactly in that. And I thought to myself, it's a good job I didn't bring a potential buyer to this today. That's definitely not uh, going to be a sale. But yes, the floodplains are an issue. People have got to live somewhere and they are caught. And, and, and the governments are saying, and then more, forget about the government, it's the insurance companies. They just don't want to pay up when they have mm. a flood issue. And yeah. we are, to a large extent in the South, fairly fortunate that majority of it is, is well maintained. But I, I see when you watch the news in other parts of the country where you know people just lose their home, their entire belongings are floating down down the street once a river's broken or, or too much rain has happened. And um, so, but yes, you know, they've got to build somewhere and, and there's always going to be some noise about it's not going to be in my backyard. Um, but if you then take that one step further, the, the person that says it's not my backyard, it's their children that now cannot actually afford to buy in the neighborhood and have to move further away because, you know, it's about supply and demand. If the demand is good and the supply is limited, house prices will, you know, continue to rise and, and get out of reach. Um, and the cost of them being built in floodplains is exorbitant. I mean, you know, you have to allow for all sorts of footings and basements and put it on stilts and put legs on it so that it's up above. And so if you had a car underneath, the chances of the car will be swimming away, you know. So these are all the things that they have to take into consideration. Um, and so, um, yeah, they've got to build somewhere and I have seen it, but it was just ironically, you, you were talking about it. I was actually on my way to, to look at something in, a, in an area that the, the river had broken. Getting back to matters indoors and in back in the warm and the dry, uh, wood panelling is back with a with a with a bang. Um, this is the uh, next trend in our nine trends that will define the property market of 2024. Panelling has become the hottest trend in interior design, shooting up in popularity due to social media. Videos with the hashtag panelling have amassed 284 million views on TikTok. Apparently, wood panelling wallpaper took off in 2023 with Laura Ashley and John Lewis selling fake wood effect wallpaper. 
but carpenter Kai Cassidy from Maidstone says this trend is shifting up a gear into actual wood effect panelling. He says it's a great way to brighten the room and increasingly popular. It's not just grand old properties asking for these. One of my clients has a 1980s house and the panelling looks great in her living room. Costs about £350 plus materials, that old adage. And... Um, <laughs> Interestingly, I've seen some of these videos on um, on TikTok and other uh, other platforms. They particularly love it going up the staircase to the opposite side to the rail. Yes, I think. I mean, the thing with wood paneling, it depends on the um, light that comes into the property. In all honesty, because wood paneling can make it look extremely dark, um, and that was the historic. So, if you look at the old sort of country mansions and so forth they they have a nice you know um staircase leading to the upstairs and wood paneling or wood wood banisters all of those made it quite dark that was that was the only and then people over a period have started to paint those uh in in those sort of lighter maps white colored so that they could actually bring more light into into their properties so um but wood paneling inside i don't have a big issue with wood paneling outside is pretty disastrous um and because it weathers and it's okay for the first 10 days when you put it up you look back and you think wow that's fantastic and then 10 days later it's chucked it down with rain and it just looks a mess um and when you see that in and you drive around uh, it looks great on the first few days but I, I always look at it and think you know that's a mistake and then to make it worse to try and, try and maintain that is a is a huge challenge so it might be 350 pounds plus materials to put it up now, but it's the ongoing maintenance of the wood that needs to be preserved. And it's a very, very different way to deal with it. So not against it, but you know, you just got to think about the long-term cost and its, its situation. But internally, it's a lot easier. Externally, I would definitely not recommend it. Yeah, I can just see, um in 10 years time, a whole raft of new homeowners going in and ripping this stuff off the wall and ruining the plaster behind, because it just yeah. reminds me of the dado rail in the nineties, you know, you had yeah. one wallpaper above the dado rail and then another one below. Yeah. Yeah. It was a trendy thing. It was good. It was good for us agents. We actually had something to write. We used to say, Oh, and there's a dado rail. Um, <laughs> and, uh, or, or corniches or, or, or coving or whatever it was that came at the time. And then all of that disappeared. Um, yeah. And so it's a trend that's, you know, recycling right now. Yeah. Guy says he loves modern wood panelling. He says feature wall wood panel in his uh, in his house and he has wood panelling in his office, uh, as we know, because we've had him on the show with the background of the wood panelling. Uh, so let's just uh, get back to our... We're nearly at the end of our nine. The next one, of course, is uh, split your home in two. Homeowners could, we've, we've, I think we've covered this as a new thing, but of course there's the yeah. new permitted development rights. Homeowners could soon be able to convert houses into two flats with, without planning permission, according to new government plans to slash red tape. This is something that Jeremy Hunt announced in the autumn statement uh, and could trigger a wave of conversions in 2024. So if you're a struggling landlord and you've got a four bedroom property, you can make two two bedroom flats and then pretty much get probably another 50% rent on top of what you're already getting. And that may actually get you out of your hole in terms of getting a, a, um, a return on your, on your investment. But also from a more sort of positive angle, if you've got old elderly parents, you could actually, you know, convert into two flats and bring, bring the old ones in. 
Yeah, I, I, I think this is a good policy to, to uh, bring in um, for a number of reasons, Paul. One is that it, we had a similar scenario back in the 80s where they were allowing a lot of semi-detached properties to be converted into two flats up and down with some sort of exterior staircase. Um, what they're saying now is that you can uh, convert it internally without making any uh, facial changes, anything externally, um, and therefore it doesn't technically require planning permission um, in order to do the internal side. Now, I think that there's a lot of people, especially um, uh, elderly people who are living in perhaps bigger houses, don't really want to move. Um, it doesn't really work for them. And this is a great opportunity for them to a um, convert internally um, and have and maintain their existence, but also provide much needed rental accommodation um, in and around the countryside and in and around uh, homes that perhaps are too big for one person um, and, and not have to move. I'm sure there'll be you know, some sort of tax because I mean, there's no, no, no smoke without fire with these things. Um, and, um, you know, the government will say, well, you've done that, so now you, you've got an income coming, and so subsequently there's a taxation. But the reality is that I think it's utilising, you know, good space well um, and, and creating opportunities. And if people do it sympathetically, um, they will do very well out of it. There will be people under permitted rights that will actually start to create rabbit hutches out of those, and that would be probably taking... It's just a little bit too far but unfortunately you can't police that situation it's only when you've got more studio apartments internally than you should have so you might have a three-bed semi and the next thing you know that internally they've got six studio apartments for argument's sake um, and it can happen but the problem with that situation will be the outside i.e those six studio apartments will have six cars in the road more so they have there has to be some sort of policing of that scenario but generally i think it's a good idea indeed um penultimate one we're almost there escaping to the chateau is the next trend that will define the property market this is because uh, france has changed some of its rules now uh immigration rules this is since brexit british visitors can only spend just 90 days of every 180 in the schengen area which is the the wider european union which is also includes switzerland norway and uh, iceland um, and of course that derailed many people's uh, hopes and dreams of a second home in Europe where they would spend much of their retirement. Currently the only way second homeowners can stay in France for more than 90 days is to apply for a long stay visa each year, but acquiring one has been criticised as complicated and expensive. The rule change approved by the French Parliament a fortnight ago has scrapped the limit, extending how long you can spend in France without a visa to six months for British second homeowners. France's Constitutional Council still needs to rubber stamp the change. However, it would make it for easier for people to buy a home in France and enjoy the property. So that's an interesting prospect. So there are a lot of people who had already bought properties, of course, and now have uh, restrictions on how long they can stay there. But if the rest of Europe starts to follow the French, and I suspect there's a, uh, an economic decision behind this, because obviously there's a lot of people who would have spent money in that country who can't stay there because they have to come home and go back again. Uh, and and the econ local economies where these people live, particularly where there's a lot of Brits maybe assembled together, like in Spain, in the south of Spain, they're probably finding the pinch. 
Absolutely. Look, you know, the, the, the prolonged Brexit talks that took forever obviously evolved around such decisions and they're now having to perhaps, you know, bend those rules a little bit because they need um, the income that comes in from the, the tourist business and from those that want to enjoy the European um, and Mediterranean sun sometimes go out, have their own place and spend that time. Um, they realized that that was now being uh, restricted um, and I'm sure this will follow trend uh, with all the other um, Schengen um, com com countries because, you know, look, cross-water um, uh, businesses are always going to be there. It's just a way of finding the right way and um, France has now led the way in realizing that, uh, you know, the British do like the French wine and the cheese and so forth and, and it's nothing, nothing nicer than sitting at the Champs-Élysées and having that and or, or in your in your um, nice villa somewhere out in Nice somewhere. But, you know, I, I think it's a welcome uh, thought. I think it will be good for everybody and it will certainly be good for, as time goes on, for uh, employment as well, because that is both ways. It's not one way, it's both ways where people are having to apply for, you know, um, indefinite stay in the UK for those that have need to work here. So I'm sure those changes will come gradually, but I think I certainly, again, is a welcome break. And I think, um, you know, France has done the good thing and others will follow shortly. The last one of our nine trends will be uh, for the property market being defined in 2024. Cash will be king. We've talked about this and that 2023 was very much about cash is king. Uh, but of course, that continues in the current situation into 2024. But what's interesting about this, of course, is many people did have their fingers burnt in 2023. So they agreed a price for a property, Joe, and then they went to get their lender's surveyor to assess the property. And of course, they came back saying, that's not worth that, 10 grand less or 20 grand less or whatever. And of course, that really did punish a lot of people. Yes and no. I mean, look, when you're doing the mortgages, uh, the lenders were already given a, a little um, rule by to the surveyors to say, you've got to just knock off 10% no matter what happens, because we've got to allow for the way the market is going. Cash is king, and those that have cash haven't really had their fingers burnt. They they were hard to negotiate. They are hard to negotiate with, but then that's that's the the drive of the cash. And in the auction business that we are in, and I'm guys in, we know that uh, it's about pricing it right. If the price is right, the cash will be there to buy it. Um, and if the price is not right, no matter how much cash, they're not going to burn their fingers. They won't just bid for it. So cash is only there good for those that are pitched right in the first place. And those are probably not the right, perhaps, properties for those that are looking for mortgages. It might be that there are reasons why they can't be mortgaged or they don't reach the mortgage market. And if they did, then the valuers were instructed, you know, to chop off 10% before they even got to the front door of whatever that price was, is as a safety net, not because they intentionally wanted to downvalue it, but primarily it was, you know, just in case the interest rate goes up even more um, and people can't afford it, we'd rather have another 10% cushion in the value uh, for the equity or, or the security of, of the lending that we do. 
Well, that brings us to the end of our nine trends that are going to define the property market in 2024. Hope some of that was of interest and inspiration maybe even to you. Uh, thank you, Joe, for floating in and doing the show um, aboard your boat today. No wonder we had internet <laughs> problems throughout, but uh, <laughs> very, very enjoyable indeed. And uh, lovely to be back. And thank you all for your comments in the comments section today on our Property Matters. We're back for another Property Matters very soon.